Hi, I'm Sunny, and today's scripture reading comes from Lamentations 1, verses 1 through 11. Jerusalem, once so full of people, is now deserted. She who was once great among the nations now sits alone like a widow. Once the queen of all the earth, she is now a slave. She sobs through the night, tears stream down her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one left to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her and become her enemies. Judah has been led away into captivity, oppressed with cruel slavery. She lives among foreign nations and has no place of rest. Her enemies have chased her down, and she has nowhere to turn. The roads to Jerusalem are in mourning, for crowds no longer come to celebrate the festivals. The city gates are silent, her priests groan. Her young women are crying, how bitter is her fate. Her oppressors have become her masters, and her enemies prosper. For the Lord has punished Jerusalem for her many sins. Her children have been captured and taken away to distant lands. All the majesty of beautiful Jerusalem has been stripped away. Her princes are like starving deer, searching for pasture. They are too weak to run from pursuing enemy. In the midst of her sadness and wandering, Jerusalem remembers her ancient splendor. But now she has fallen to her enemy, and there is no one to help her. Her enemy struck her down and laughed as she fell. Jerusalem has sinned greatly, so she has been tossed away like a filthy rag. All who once honored her now despise her, for they have seen her stripped naked and humiliated. All she can do is groan and hide her face. She defiled herself with immorality and gave no thought to her future. Now she lies in the gutter with no one to lift her out. Lord, see my misery, she cries. The enemy has triumphed. The enemy has plundered her completely, taking every precious thing she owns. She has seen foreigners violate her sacred temple, the place the Lord had forbidden them to enter. Her people groan as they search for bread. They have sold their treasures for food to stay alive. O Lord, look, she moans, and see how I am despised. Hey Grace242, we're going to begin a new series on the book of Lamentations today. And as I have dove into this book to study it in preparation for this series, I have found a treasure that gives words to the sorrowful state that our world lives in right now. And I hope that you will find a friend in Lamentations as well as we endure this difficult time and walk through this book together. Back in the old world, we used to meet at Mequon Nature Preserve for worship, and we all look forward to the day when we can meet there again. But just across this fascinating boundary known as County Line Road, and a mere three quarters of a mile to the south, lies one of, if not the most prominent abandoned mall in the United States. As more and more empty malls are demolished, Northridge Mall has managed to stave off raise orders and still stands to this day. Now, many of you know about my obsession with Northridge. I'm obsessed with the abandoned mall for many reasons, but one of the reasons is because Northridge stands as a haunting time capsule of an era gone by. It is a reminder of what once was. Let's just watch a little bit of this YouTube video to get a feel for what I mean. In today's episode, we're exploring the abandoned Northridge Mall, which first opened its doors in 1972. 
It operated successfully for several years, but soon began to run into trouble. The mall's location was chosen due to its proximity to a planned freeway, but it was canceled after locals protested. Then, in the 90s, concerns of high crime rates in the area began to further erode the mall's clientele. The economic recession of 2001 was the final nail in the coffin, with many tenants opting not to renew their lease. The mall would close just two years later, in 2003. For the following 15 years, the mall would remain under tight security, with the interior serving as a time capsule of late 20th century commercial architecture. In recent years, however, thieves and vandals began to win the battle with security, and the condition of the building has quickly deteriorated. Now, we're venturing inside to see what's left. Mall, September update surrounding spot number 94-11, 60 second radio. Hello, my name is Joni Vasos, the new marketing director for Northridge Mall, where we have many new and exciting things happening, and I'd like to share some of them with you. Inside the mall, Northridge has tripled the amount of flowers, and it's simply beautiful. Outside, our new parking lot signs feature a floral theme, so it's easy to identify and remember whether you're parked in our rose, orchid, daisy, or tulip lot. Plus, we have a free customer shuttle and courtesy phones at the main mall entrances, so you can call for a ride. Oh, and don't put your sunglasses away just yet, because we've installed new parking lot lights. In the evening, our lights are as bright as a summer's day. Northridge Mall. I show you this video of Northridge because it is a reminder of what once was. Northridge used to be one of the busiest, hottest retail spots in the Milwaukee area, but now it stands silent and abandoned. Northridge used to be one of the most beautiful malls in Milwaukee, but now it's falling apart. Its entrances are boarded up, every glass window and doorway into the store has been shattered. What once was a beautiful mall is now a decrepit, rotting and useless structure. Just like we quickly toured the sad ruins of Northridge Mall, today we're going to follow the prophet Jeremiah as he mournfully tours the ruined city of Jerusalem. See, Jeremiah had issued warning after warning to the people of Judah. His message, turn back to God. Look at Jeremiah 18 verse 11. Therefore, Jeremiah, go and warn all Judah and Jerusalem. Say to them, this is what the Lord says, I am planning disaster for you instead of good. So turn from your evil ways, each of you, and do what is right. This disaster came in the form of an invasion in 586 BC. The nation of Babylon laid siege to the Jews' capital city of Jerusalem, which slowly strangled the city to death. In 586, Babylon invaded the city and laid it to waste. Many Jews were killed many buildings destroyed, and many people were forced into captivity and deported to the Babylonian capital, 800 miles away. In Lamentations 1, we find the prophet Jeremiah walking amongst the ruins of the city he loved and warned time and time again. And the great gift for the people of God today is that even though we're living 2,600 years after these events, as we tour the broken city with Jeremiah, his grief becomes our grief. His tears become our tears. His pain becomes our pain. As we tour the city, Jeremiah's sorrow validates and gives words to our own sorrow. 
as Jeremiah laments over the ruins of Jerusalem, we weep over the brokenness and ruins of our lives today. Jeremiah had infinite reasons to weep when Jerusalem was destroyed. And as we begin the third month of this pandemic, we have much to weep over. I was listening to a podcast on Lamentations, and the guest on the podcast said that grief is like an expensive and valuable vase that's been shattered on the floor. And you're picking up the broken pieces of the vase, remembering just how much that piece meant to you. And as you pick up the pieces, you're going over and over it in your mind. You're reliving the time you had with the vase, how much it meant to you, why did it break, could that have been prevented. Your mind just keeps going over and over this relationship that you had with this prized vase. And today we're going to join the prophet as he walks amongst the broken pieces of Jerusalem and cries over the devastation. Look at the first part of chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read it out of the NIV. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. The very first word of the book, and and this is the case in the Hebrew as well, is how. How could this happen? How could the city be reduced to ruin? When Jeremiah plays the Babylonian invasion over and over again in his mind, he keeps coming back to this one question, how? And Isn't this the question that we ask in our grief as well? How? It's the word we say when there's too much misery to comprehend. It's the word we say when the world around us and our lives are falling apart. Rob and Tamara Wieberdinger are in our house church, and and many of you know that Tamara lost both her dad and her mom during this pandemic. And I look at the misery that they've had to endure as a family, and and all I can ask is, how? How, God? How does one woman lose both her dad and her mom, only a, a small time away from one another, underneath this pandemic? How? And the prophet continues, Jerusalem, once so full of people, is now deserted. You can imagine Jeremiah walking the ruins of Jerusalem and remembering the crowds of people that used to fill the city, but now the roads are empty. This is one of the things that makes Northridge so eerie. When you stand in the center of the mall with all the stairways and the escalators and the stage and the fountains, you imagine how many people used to come through that atrium in one day. And that happened day after day after day. Crowds of people moving through there every day. I'm part of a Facebook group of other nuts like me who are obsessed with Northridge. And people will often post old pictures of Northridge in its heyday. And some of the pictures show concerts on the stage and the atrium with crowds of people gathered. But now the atrium stands completely empty and quiet. There used to be water in the fountains and trees growing up from pots below the floor and now there's only holes in the grates where the trunks once grew and the fountains are empty, dry, and filled with dust and debris. In verse 4, Jeremiah walks to the gates of Jerusalem and looks out at the roads that lead into the city. He remarks, The roads to Jerusalem are in mourning, for crowds no longer come to celebrate the festivals. The city gates are silent. Looking out at the roads leading into the city, Jeremiah remembers how 
People used to travel to the city for its various festivals, and, and right before a festival, you'd, you'd look out on the road and you'd see a continuous trail of people disappearing over the horizon. And now nobody's on the road. And I wonder if, as Jeremiah looks out over the empty road, I wonder if he remembers the last thing he saw on that road, which was not people coming to the city. Rather, it was the people of the city leaving as captives destined for Babylon. And as he looks at what's left of the entrance of the city, he's haunted by the emptiness. There was always something happening at the city gates. Leaders met at the city gates to carry out their administrative duties. The city gates functioned like a courtroom where disputes were adjudicated, contracts were witnessed and ratified, and business transacted. All of this took place at the city gates. Another reason I'm obsessed with Northridge is that it's a reminder of an era gone by. My childhood years growing up in the 90s were some of the last of the mall kid era. I rarely did this because my parents didn't like me going unsupervised, but when I was a kid it was not uncommon for your mom to drop you off at the mall where you would spend several hours at the mall with your friends. And in many ways the mall was a one-stop shop for all sorts of entertainment. Northridge even had a movie theater inside of it. You could be dropped off at Northridge and spend an entire day perusing the stores, eating at the food court, catching a movie at the theater, throwing pennies into the fountains. The mall had so many options, but now Northridge sits empty. Furthermore, malls as one-stop entertainment shops are becoming quickly extinct around the country. Look at the beginning of six and seven. Jeremiah says, All the majesty of beautiful Jerusalem has been stripped away. In the midst of her sadness and wandering, Jerusalem remembers her ancient splendor. Jeremiah mourns how a beautiful city has now been reduced to rubble. One of the sad aspects of Northridge is just how beautiful of a mall it once was. The skylight and the ceilings and the lights are gorgeous. The architecture was carefully crafted. This was an expensive place to build because they wanted it to be a desirable place to be, where people wanted to linger. But now, as the mall has sat empty, the property is rotting and quickly deteriorating into ruin. Glass windows are smashed out, graffiti is everywhere, water is leaking in through the skylights, mold is building up, the theaters are now actually flooded, the bottom floor theaters are flooded. What once was so beautiful is now ruined. And as if this wasn't enough pain to endure, verse 10 is one of the biggest pangs. Jeremiah says, The enemy has plundered her completely, taking every precious thing she owns. She has seen foreigners violate her sacred temple, the place the Lord had forbidden them to enter. Solomon's temple the temple that was the jewel of the city, the temple that took 20 years to build, the temple where cedar wood was imported all the way from Lebanon, was reduced to ashes. First, the Babylonians stripped the house of God of anything of value, and then they even went into the most holy place, which was God's very throne room, reserved only for the high priest to enter once a year at the risk of death, the Babylonian army charged into the most holy place of the temple. This would be like an enemy of the United States somehow 
getting into the White House and making his way all the way to the Oval Office only to shoot the president at his desk. The Babylonians plundered the temple. They burned it to the ground. Two years ago, archaeologists found charred fragments of wood pottery and bones, confirming that the Babylonians did indeed burn the city when they invaded 2,600 years ago. The Bible's true, folks. The Bible really happened. Not only is the loss of the temple the loss of something core to the people's identity, but a ruined temple is, in the ancient world, also signified the conquering of the God who lived there. So, by destroying the temple, the Babylonians are attempting to conquer the God of Israel. Now, we know that our God cannot be conquered, but the sight of the ruined temple leaves Jeremiah with one word on his lips. How? The sight of the ruined temple would have emphasized verse 1. Not only is the city deserted of people, but has it been deserted by God? And I think this is the question we all ask when we face grief and sorrow. Where's God? Do you see me, God? Have you deserted me? Are you even aware of what's going on right now? Have you forgotten me? And all of this propels Jeremiah to say in verse 16, For all these things I weep. Tears flow down my cheeks. No one is here to comfort me. Any who might encourage me are far away. Grief is lonely. Mourning is isolating. It feels like you've been cut off from the rest of the world. It's isolating because while you're weeping, everyone else is over here enjoying their life and having a good time. So it's easy to feel alone and abandoned when you're experiencing deep pain and sorrow. You feel distant from people, and often you feel distant from God. And it's here, in the midst of our isolation, grief, and pain, where Jeremiah's words become our words. Here's where our feelings of sad and loneliness are validated. Jeremiah punctuates his cries with phrases that I think help us give words to our pain. Look at 1.9. Lord, see my misery, she cries. 111. O Lord, look, she mourns, and see how I am despised. And again at 120. Lord, see my anguish. The prophet giving voice to the city doesn't ask God to look upon her. Instead, she demands that God look upon her misery. She demands that God rest his gaze upon her in her ruined and miserable state. And I think it's here that we find a friend in Lamentations. That when we're full of pain and grief, we can actually demand that God look upon us in our sorrow. Just like Jeremiah told God to look upon the ruins of Jerusalem, we can tell God to see us in our misery. If you're grieving, if you're mourning, if the tears have flowed readily, and if you feel like your life is in shambles or your life has crumbled into ruin, then tell God to look at you. And know that when you do, your tears do not go unnoticed. 
I'll close with this beautiful verse from Psalm 56, verse 8. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book.